So when I last did a talk here at church, we were looking at Peter, and we were looking at Peter's reinstatement when Jesus met him on the shores of Lake Galilee and uh, reinstated him after he denied that he knew Jesus three times. Uh, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And here we meet Peter again. So this is quite some time later. Quite a few years have elapsed. And the little fledgling Jesus community, or the way, has been growing. And it suffered severe persecution under Saul. And as we heard last week with Paddy, when Saul was converted, that changed things. And in the chapter just before the one we heard, we, uh, we read this. We read that the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. So this little community was growing and Peter was playing a very significant part. He was travelling, he was teaching and he was performing miracles. So quite a change from the Peter we met on the, the shores of Lake Galilee. Now this story uh, takes us straight into the heart of one of the biggest dilemmas of this little Jesus community. And this was the dilemma about belonging and identity. Who can belong to the children of God? And it's also a story about the move of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting in in Acts, uh, Luke the author sometimes gives us loads and loads of detail and sometimes he jumps over things. Uh, At one point in Acts he says, Paul stayed in Corinth for a year. That's it, an entire year just in seven words. And here we've got almost two chapters on three days. It shows something of how significant this three days was in dealing with this dilemma. So the dilemma was, is it possible to be a follower of Jesus and not to be a Jew? And this story brings that question centre stage. It's the first time we really see this being grappled with in Acts. And then after this, actually, it reappears over and over again. Paul and others, they continually have to go to Jerusalem, which is the heart of where the Jesus community was, and debate and discuss this. Do you have to be a Jew in order to be a follower of Jesus? It was a really complicated one, and it appears in in many of Paul's letters as well, as you'll know. Uh, what What are the conditions of belonging here? Why was this such a big issue then? Why was it not one of those things that was just resolved and sorted and done? Well, I think it's because this is an issue that touches at the heart of human existence. This is about belonging. It's about identity. Who belongs here? And I think it's interesting how we grapple with that. We grapple with that, you know, in many ways, in our own personal lives and in our societies. We're grappling with this question of, do I belong? Do I belong here? Am I in or am I on the outside? Um, It's something that is very core to us as human beings, our identity and our belonging. So for the Jews, their identity is the children of God, the people of God, the holy nation. This was hardwired into their existence. This was what they had lived for and died for generation after generation after generation. It was very much um, the way that they understood themselves. And all of the early followers of the way, they were all Jews. They all had this heritage. They all had this sense of identity as the people of God. And for them, the really radical truth was that Jesus was the Messiah of the Jews. That was radical truth number one, if you like, that set them apart. But with this story, we see them encountering 
radical truth number two, which is that everybody is welcome. Everybody belongs. Everybody has a place in the people of God. So with this experience of Peter and Cornelius, we see them beginning to grapple with this second radical truth, which effectively demolishes the barriers, demolishes the barriers of separation and sets up something new. And this was quite an audacious claim. This was provocative, wasn't it? And I think this is why it took so long for the community to work it through and to really understand it. So let's look at the story and let's pull out the things that are interesting to note. So firstly, what we know of the context is that the separation between Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews, was really complete. Um, The Jews had exemption from worshipping the emperor, so they didn't have to take part in all of the community festivals and rituals. They had their own religious worship. But it ran deeper than just religious worship. In those societies, appeasing the gods was part of keeping the community well. If the gods were appeased, then the community would prosper and would flourish. And so the Jews were looked upon with real suspicion by people who weren't Jews, because they weren't playing their part in keeping the community and the society prosperous. Uh, And it was um, far more than just religion. It was social, it was political, it was cultural. The divide was complete. And so, if you were a Jewish family, or if you were a non-Jewish family, it would completely determine your experience and, and, and what your life was like. So first we meet Cornelius. He is described as a God-fearing man. And this is a very familiar term used in the literature around this time. And as David said, it describes somebody who believed in the God of the Jews. And insofar as he was able, he worshipped the God of the Jews without becoming a Jew himself. And so he was a Gentile. He was a non-Jew. And on top of that, he was a Roman soldier. So not only a Gentile, but also a Roman. Double jeopardy here, you know, really kind of off limits. But he's met by an angel, and immediately he recognises this as the voice of God. And notice here, straight away, there is no difference between how God appears to, to Cornelius the Gentile and how we repeatedly hear of him appearing to all the Jews in, in Acts. There's no difference. There are no boundaries for God. And Cornelius listens and he responds straight away in spite of the fact that Peter's a Jew and it was, um, it was not lawful uh, in Jewish custom for Jews to associate with Gentiles they weren't allowed to go to their houses they weren't allowed to eat together there was total separation in spite of this Cornelius responds and sends people to go and get Peter so straight away we have one man who hears God and he responds even though It's outside all the social, all the religious and all the cultural norms of his day. He hears and he responds. Then we meet Peter. Peter is on the roof of his house praying and he has this vision. And God three times, there's something about three times repeating with Peter. It happens again and again. Three times God tells him, uh, do not call uh, impure what I have called pure. Peter hasn't finished digesting this yet when Cornelius' messengers come, so he's still mulling it over. But straight away, he invites them into the house. So immediately, he steps over the cultural and the religious norms by inviting Gentiles into his house. 
Uh, So here we have the second man, hearing the call of God, taking action, even though it was outside all the cultural and religious norms. He goes with it, and notice it doesn't take him very long to process it, because he's off the next day. He's off uh, to go and visit Cornelius. By the time Peter's arrived, Cornelius has gathered all of his friends and his family. And I think this is interesting. It doesn't take a very long bit in the passage to say that. But if I think about that for me, that's really an act of faith, isn't it? He's sent his people to go and get a Jew who he knows isn't really allowed to come and spend time with him. And while he's waiting, he gathers his friends and his family. Um, And he welcomes Peter and he says, we're here in the presence of God, to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Wow. You know, that really, what faith and what courage. There's something about his encounter with the angel, there's something about his encounter with God that gives him this deep sense of clarity and of expectation. It's so powerful and it's so attractive that he goes out on a limb and invites people to come and hear And he says that they're there to listen. That's what they're there to do. They're not there to debate and and discuss. They're there to listen to what God has to say. So both Peter and Cornelius, they they, um, encountered God, they listened and they took action. And they seem to do so without getting caught up in all of those things that, that I don't know if you do, but I get caught up in. The what ifs and the what will people think and how will that go? Um, They just did it. And I think where I often get caught is in the mental gymnastics that go alongside it. Well, if I did that, how will that work out? What what will they think of me? And that could get awkward. That could get embarrassing, etc. I often put my anxieties and my concerns in the foreground rather than following the move of God. Over and over again in Acts, we see ordinary human beings being willing and able to do quite extraordinary things. And, and often outside the safety of the normal boundaries. There's lots we can learn from Acts around what it is to be community. I also think there's lots to learn from Acts about what must have strengthened their heart. What was it like, their experience of God? What was it like, their sense of the power of God, the grace of God? the love and the forgiveness of God, because these are the things that characterise their ability to do what they did, the heart that they had. Whatever it was, their experience of God, it gave them courage to do things that were really outside the norm. So two men, both hearing the uh, the word of God in different ways, both be responding by listening and taking action. I think there's the same potential for us if we don't get caught in the what-ifs and the so-whats, to, to, to listen and take action. makes me wonder for myself, you know, how familiar am I with the voice of God? How familiar am I when I see the Holy Spirit moving? Just like the question David asked you, was it easy to answer that or not? How familiar are we? And I wonder if we long to become more familiar with the move of God, how we might do that together how we might learn to do that together. So Peter sees the openness of Cornelius and the gathering, and he senses the move of God, so he starts to teach. And I love that the first thing he says is what he's learned. I've learned that God does not show favouritism, but he accepts everyone who fears him. 
And then he moves on to talk about Jesus and Jesus' place. And we read that while Peter's speaking, the Holy Spirit comes upon the people who are listening. And Peter and his mates are astonished. Of course they're astonished. They're deeply rooted in this Jewish heritage of, of the Jews being the people of God. And they see the Spirit moving on people who aren't Jews. But the move of the Spirit sealed the deal. This was what convinced Peter that God was at work. And, and this is what um, then was the compelling reality that meant he baptised people with the Holy Spirit and he was willing to follow. If the Spirit was moving amongst people, that was clear. That was the compelling reality. There was a place for everybody. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit that was the key thing here. It wasn't logical debate. It wasn't sitting down and thinking it through and discussing issues of inclusion and identity and thinking about admittance rights and who would be welcome and how do we do this. It wasn't that. It was the move of the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, well, who am I to stand in the way of that? I think that's food for thought for us today. And we read in the next section that when Peter goes back to Jerusalem, he gets challenged. He gets challenged about his position and he gets challenged to justify what he's done. So he he retells the whole story again, as we read this morning. And he says, if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? Upon hearing about this outpouring of the spirits, we read that the Jewish community in Jerusalem rejoiced that God was welcome. The scale of this is massive. To move from a position where religious, cultural, societal norms meant total separation between Jews and Gentiles to a place where they're rejoicing that God has made everything open and belonging is available to all. This is massive. And just notice there's a difference between grudging acceptance and, oh, we need to work this out, and rejoicing. There's a big difference, isn't there? And so something about the um, early church's experience of the power of God, the love of God, meant that they were rejoicing that it was available to all. They weren't worrying about the implications of that. This tilted the world on its axis for members of the Christian community, and their response was to rejoice says something about their experience of God. It says something about their belief that the love of God isn't a scarce resource. It's not just something we need to hold on tightly to. It's available to all. So clearly, as we read in the rest of the New Testament, they really had a lot of work to do for this to properly take hold and to infuse into the Christian community. But here is the rejoices. And this brought the phrase to my mind of real radical inclusion. Not just inclusion, but radical inclusion, because it was completely world-changing for them. And the compelling reason was the Holy Spirit. So as I finish, let me just summarise the three things that I think arise from this passage for us. The first is something about the quality of people's relationship with God. The quality of their knowledge of grace and love uh, that, that helps them preserve the core and, um, and act out with the normal bands of, uh, of what they were used to. I used to go to St. Saviour's and when I was there, the vicar was David Bracewell. 
And he used to say, you may remember this, David, but he used to say we should put our energies into warming the core of our faith, not patrolling the boundaries. And I think this speaks to that. Warming the core. The core is our experience of God and our relationship with him. The second theme, I think, is recognizing the move of the Holy Spirit and being courageous enough to follow it without getting too caught up in our anxieties, our what-ifs, our our what-might-people-think, how will this work? And the third, of course, is this theme of radical inclusion. The gospel is open to all, and of course we know that, because as David said, many of us are Gentiles. Of course we know that. But this notion of belonging, that in this passage, God is speaking to the need that we all have as human beings to belong. And each one of us sitting here has a different relationship with belonging. Some of us like to be right in the middle of things. Some of us like to be on the edge. Some of us don't know if we want to belong or not. But actually at its heart what makes us human is needing to have some sense of where we're located. Where is our identity and our belonging? And God speaks to this from the depths of the Jewish identity right through to uh, the shaping of the New Testament church. He tackles the need we all have in our hearts to know where we belong. So here we have the story of two men, two encounters with God, two obedient actions, the move of the Holy Spirit, the recognition of the move of the Holy Spirit, and then um, radical inclusion and rejoicing rather than worrying about the consequences. I hope that we're inspired to pick up some aspect of this story ourselves and seek to bring it into our lives, either personally or collectively. Amen. Caroline, thank you for challenging us and leading us in that way. Uh, I'm aware it is hot. There is water available in um, the kitchen. If anyone wants water at any stage, just go and help yourself. Uh, But the rest, we're now going to stand and we're going to affirm our belief on the ground upon which we stand in the words of the Creed. So let's stand together.